Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Radio Astronomy Star Diary, our guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere tonight's sky in January 2022. I'm the magazine's news editor, Ezie Pearson, and I'm joined on the podcast today by reviews editor, Paul Money, who's going to be telling us the best things to catch in this month's night sky. Uh, welcome to the show, Paul. Hi, Ezie. Another year and another lot of objects and things to see in the sky, eh? Yes. So January is the start of the new year. Um, do we have some, some great new things to see in the night sky this month? Oh, we, we've got a, a good selection of uh, old and new, as always. But, uh, you know, we, we start off almost with a bang, uh, not quite a, a big bang. But, uh, you know, we've been following the uh, planets in the evening sky for several months now, including that one that didn't seem to go away, Venus, <laughs> that seemed to just keep going. But uh, the thing about Venus is that we are now losing it. And this is the month. This is it. It's gone, Ezzy, from the evening sky. So we start off the first literally week, you have Venus uh, lingering in the southwest, but it very rapidly drops out of sight and goes into solar conjunction. But before it does so, you've actually got a lineup, really, of Venus, Mercury, Saturn and Jupiter as you move away out of the bright glare of the twilight. So uh, we've got a plethora of at least four planets there to play with. And the beauty about it is that Mercury's been moving up since the end of December. Mercury's crept up and he's now in a good position. And uh, so on the first through to about the sixth, we've actually got Venus there um, lingering so we can see that, but we will lose it after this. But it's been replaced as the evening star, by three others. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? We always call Venus the evening star sort of thing, you know, and the morning star. Well, uh, you know, at the moment, we'll also have Mercury, Saturn and Jupiter sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's uh, quite a gathering of planets, really. And of course, that does mean that while Mercury's in the sky, if you're a hardy soul, <laughs> I, I am not quite as hardy as I used to be, uh, when you stay up all night, you can get all the planets. So you could do a planet marathon just as we were saying at the end of December sort of thing, it's still lingering. As long as you can still see Venus, you'll be able to get all the planets in the uh, sky. Yeah, stay up all night, of course, sort of thing, but uh, I'd suggest going and having a quick nap in between some of them. But uh, yeah, we've got Venus, Mercury, Saturn and Jupiter. Now, as it happens, you're looking roughly about half an hour after sunset. So, you know, where the twilight will be bright. This is why Venus is a bit of a pain. It's bright, which is good, because that keeps it visible. Um, so, uh, but it drops away very rapidly. But Mercury moves up for a short while. So for the two weeks, the first two weeks of January, we've got Mercury creeping up and then dropping back itself. So as it does so sort of thing, Saturn and Jupiter also sliding into the twilight. So it's all, all sort of happening. In fact, towards the end of the month, we lose Saturn as well. So we'll lose Venus, Mercury and Saturn in the process of this month. And at the end of the month, we'll left our poor Jupiter on its own in the bright evening twilight sky. And that's in the southwest. So you're going to need a good clear horizon, I have to say. Otherwise, anything in the way, trees, buildings, anything like that, will actually cause a problem. But in the meantime, on the 4th, we have that. I mean, we always have it. No, every month. And the, the clue's there, month, we've got the moon coming up. And on the 4th, 
it's actually forming a triangle with Mercury and Saturn. I don't mention it earlier because it's actually new on the second. And so the day-old moon actually lies to the lower. It forms a triangle with Venus and Mercury. The trouble is the moon's below them. So it sets rapidly. And in fact, you know, by the time twilight sort of thing darkens enough for you to see it, it'll actually be very, very well. It, I think it'll be very difficult, almost impossible to view when it's between Venus and Mercury. But the next night, it forms almost a triangle, you know, a right angle triangle with Mercury and Saturn. It'll be very, very thin. I like, I like crescent moons or slim crescent moons. And look out for the Earth shine on it, sort of, because, uh, you know, that's the second hand light bouncing off the Earth's atmosphere back onto the night side of the moon, sort of like almost like a fill in flash for photographers. They'd be very familiar with that sort of idea as well. Yeah, I, d- I do like it when it's that sort of like, is it still there? It's just, it's, just a sort of very, very thin sliver of light across the night sky. I think that always looks really pretty. And in deep twilight, the twilight adds to the effect as well. I think the golden colours of twilight really help bring it out. So that's on the fourth then with Mercury and Saturn. On the fifth, it moves up between Saturn and Jupiter. Then on the sixth, the moon will be thicker crescent and it'll be to the left of Jupiter as well. So we've got this moon moving past these planets, which it does so and has done for several months now. Well, now is the last time it's going to do it in the evening sky uh, past these planets. As I say, we're going to lose the rest in actual fact. But in the meantime, we've got a, we've got a meteor shower. Now, unfortunately, the first few months of the year, or any year, is always pretty badly served by meteor showers. And we usually have to wait until sort of the April Lyrids before we get one. But we do have one in January, and that's the Quadrantids. Now, the Quadrantids actually from an old constellation, the Mural Quadrant. And so it's a defunct constellation, but it actually has the radiant not too far from Arcturus. So it's in Boots, or Buetes, however you want to pronounce it, sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those that it's very favourable in the sense that a new moon is on the second. So if this is peaking on the third, these are ideal circumstances. And that meteor shower itself is the radiant is circumpolar. So it doesn't set. So, you know, we've got a chance to see it all the way through the actual night if you want. Now, the meteor rates, it, we always talk about the zenith hourly rates or that, and it is a bit of a problem because it's the perfect conditions looking absolutely directly mm. up through a crystal clear, you know, unobscured hot sky, no haze or anything like that. And it doesn't work like that because <laughs> you start to diminish as you look further down the sky, then uh, you start towards the horizon. There's the thickening of the atmosphere and it dims the meteors. So although we say 100 plus per hour, really in truth, we were probably a quarter of that visually. But it's worth looking at because this one is ideal. It's under perfect conditions with no moon. Because nine times out of 10, most of the meteor showers throughout the year, a few of them are going to be affected and ruined by the moonlight. So this is January the 3rd sort of thing. Do have a look out during the course of that night into the 4th and see if you can see any of the quadrantids. And if you can track them back towards Boates, then you've probably got uh, one of the quadrantids itself. Now, back to the uh, planets in the evening sky. Mercury reaches its greatest elongation from the sun. This is the eastern elongation, which is why we see it 
low in the southwest in the sky. So I always think of it, uh, for the general person, it's to the left of the sun sort of thing. So that means it's in the evening sky. If it's to the right of the sun, it'll be in the morning sky. And that won't happen until next month. But uh, Mercury is that greatest elongation from the sun. And it seems to be gradually heading towards Saturn. You think, Ray, we're going to have a really close conjunction. But it doesn't because it sort of slows down and stops and then starts going back, even though Saturn is dropping into the evening twilight. So it's actually Mercury's closest to Saturn on the 12th, you know, five days later, five evenings later, we should say, and still down in the bright twilight. So, you know, after that, Mercury will become harder to see. It's uh, beginning to actually drop right down into the twilight. And so uh, it'll be joined by Saturn as well. And as I say, then we'll only be left with actually Jupiter. So, you know, it's a good chance to catch them. But as I say, Mercury won't get as close to Saturn as it has done in the past. Sometimes we've had really nice conjunctions where they fit in the field of view of a telescope. But you should see them in binoculars. Wide field binoculars, 7 by 50 binoculars, you should get them both in a pair of binoculars. Okay, so the moon does carry on. I mean, the moon doesn't stop, does it? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the next time, and and this is harder because the the planet is fainter, but it's actually on the 7th, close to, and it's a thick crescent now, um, close to Neptune. It forms a bit of a triangle with Neptune, and uh, I think it's psi, uh, sort of like um, Aquarii. So uh, there is a whole series of them, a, a trio of stars as such in that region. But Neptune is actually quite faint. It's magnitude 7.8, something like that. So it's actually quite faint. But uh, again, you should be able to pick it up in large binoculars. And I always think it's nice because that gives you an idea on the 7th where Neptune is. The moon sort of guides you. I always like it when the moon guides you to targets that you probably wouldn't otherwise look for, uh, or especially when they're not naked eye. And then on the 11th, to keep up and give you an idea where the, sort of the planets are sort of thing, on the 11th, it's actually forming a, a bit of a triangle with Mu, Seti, and Uranus. So we've got Uranus, and technically Uranus is naked eye. I say technically. Mm, clear, clear skies and a very, very good eyesight. Yeah, <laughs> you've got a very dark sky. And, and in a way, no moon next to it. So ironically, yeah. although the moon is actually now two days past first quarter, uh, which took place on the 9th, then uh, it's actually near to, near to Uranus, I say. And ironically, both of them lie actually in southern Aries, um, but uh, it's, it's better to use New Seti because it's actually the one directly below them that forms a nice triangle. So the moonlight will sort of wash out Uranus, but Uranus is a lot easier to see actually in binoculars. So you should be able to spot that quite well. Uh, And it's got a star called 29 Arietus just above it. We'll come to that in a short while. So we're now talking about the moon going through. I I like it when it, I mean, a lot of the time it seems to be in empty space, which yes, it is in empty space. Paul, what are you talking about? You're mad it's in space after all, it's going around the earth. But as it passes through the constellations. It's often in very sparsely populated areas of the sky. But the 12th to the 13th, we have the moon passing through Taurus. And I I, I love Taurus because, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, two major star clusters make up the main constellation. We've got the Pleiades and the Hyades. So on the 12th, the moon is to the lower right of the Pleiades, you want to be looking about, you know, you can leave it till a couple of hours after sunset. So the sky's got darker 
Uh, so uh, around about six o'clock sort of thing. So uh, the skies are obviously, the sun's setting around about four-ish or such around about this time. So about six o'clock, you've got a darker sky. You've got the moon up. And to say it's to the lower right of the Pleiades. And then the next night, it's actually directly above the Hyades. In fact, it's due north of Old Ebron, uh, which is the orange eye of uh, the bull, uh, the red eye of the bull, they often say. It looks more orange to me, if anything. And of course, Old Ebron is part of the Hyades cluster, as it looks like it's part, but the reality is it's actually half the distance. So it's not part of the cluster whatsoever. It's a line of sight. Object, just as the moon is forming a line of sight itself uh, with the cluster and Aldebaran. So I always like it when it's in an area like this because the constellation is quite easy to recognise, uh, Taurus sort of thing. And I say you've got these two wonderful clusters there as well to actually view at the same time. And so the moon carries on and on the 17th it's full. Now, normally, I wouldn't bother really much with a full moon. I mean, you can see that they sort of like the uh, ray patterns uh, from the major craters, Tycho, Copernicus, etc. sort of thing. And they, they are interesting to look at if a telescope. But in this particular case, it forms almost an exact line with Castor and Pollux in Gemini. So I always love it because I know people will say, well, two stars above the moon on such and such a night. And you'll say, ah, that was January the 17th, and that was Castor and Pollux in Gemini. Now, the other thing to look out for, and it happens either side of full moon, is look out if there's slight mist. I mean, normally you wouldn't really want to observe when it's misty skies, but look out because you might get a lunar halo. And I always look, and I always think the full moon ones, there's more moonlight, and that makes the halo brighter. So you can have it a few days before and a few days afterwards. But I say, it's when it's full, you've got the most moonlight to create the actual lunar halo itself. So then they can be quite pretty. And a lot of people get some nice atmospheric photographs. Yeah, there's definitely been been some times when I've been, you know, walking home from work or whatever, and you look up because I, I, I live in the middle of the city. So there's not a lot of stargazing you can do when you walk home. But occasionally you sort of look up and you see this absolutely beautiful lunar halo. Um, and that's always great to do. <laughs> And that's the beauty, isn't it? At least it gives us something. If you're in a city or a major town, you've got a lot of light pollution, it gives you something to actually look forward to and sort of see in the sky. As you say, it's a pain when you're talking about deep sky objects, but the bright planets and things like this really help to make up for it. Now, the next night, natural fact, we've got, we mentioned Uranus before. This is Uranus. It's actually directly below. It's also stationary. Now, the outer planets, from the point of view of the Earth, do something weird. They do this weird wobble. So, so they seem to slow down, stop, and then go into reverse. Now, we know they're not physically doing that in their orbits. It's the fact that we're on the Earth, we're on moving platform, and so it's our motion that sort of makes it look odd that it slows its motion against the background star. It goes backwards for a short while, for a sort of a few weeks to a couple of months, and then it rejoins the normal motion again. So it's had a stationary point here, and it's directly below 29 Arietus. Now, it's interesting because it's almost the same brightness as Uranus. Uranus is around about magnitude 5.7, 5.8. 29 Arietus is magnitude 6. So it'd be interesting to see, can you notice a difference whilst Uranus is close? It'll be close yeah, either side by several days, but actually the, the 18th is when it's directly below it. It's, it's actually stationary as well. So if you can see it, then 
Look for that difference. See if you can see the slight difference in the brightness. It is only a few tenths of a magnitude. I mean, it, it's a good test of the eyesight to see whether you can notice that. The other thing to notice is the colour. Can you see colour? Uranus is classically known as a greenish coloured planet. And I have to say, in large binoculars and small telescopes, I definitely see the green. Wide field binoculars, I'm not quite so sure. So have a look, because 29 Arietis is slightly yellowish. It's an F8 spectral type star. So it's a yellowish star as well. So, you know, that's quite a contrast, yellow and green. And that's right in our main part of the spectral sensitivity of our eyes. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether anybody actually picks that up, sees what they notice the colour and the difference in the brightness. Now, it's all happening roughly in the middle and to the third week of January. And so what we've got here is on the 19th, we're back to the evening sky, into the evening twilight. This might be your last chance really to capture Saturn. Mercury's dropping away off, as we mentioned earlier. But on the 19th, Saturn lies very close and just below Theta Capricorni. So it's a question is in the twilight. Are you going to be able to see the star? You know, hopefully you'll see the planet itself. But, uh, yeah, I so said this might be your last chance to get Saturn. But the fact that you've got the bonus of a star right next to it as well, well, I think, add to the appeal. So I'll be trying for that. Then on the 25th, Jupiter. Now, we've, we've sort of like left Jupiter out. So we mentioned it a few times. But Jupiter is the one that's going to linger a little bit longer. We've got it for another probable month. So at the moment, on the 25th of January, it actually lies above Sigma Aquarii. Now, there's a huge difference between them because Jupiter is magnitude minus 2.1, whereas Sigma is magnitude 4.8. It's a very close double star. So, you know, it might be worth putting a telescope on. I think it's around about three and a half arc seconds. So it is quite a tight double and they're unequal components as well. But because it's magnitude 4.8, this star, it's on a par with some of the moons of Jupiter. The only difference is it'll actually be below Jupiter, to the south of Jupiter itself. But it'd uh, be interesting to have a look at that sort of thing. And if you can see, Callisto uh, is certainly clear and visible in the actual view. Um, and I know two of the other moons are on the same direction between Callisto and Jupiter as well. Now, the next night, we're back to the moon. And the, look with... 15% binoculars, you've got them, or a small telescope, because the moon will be creeping closer to it. Now, this is in the morning sky. We're talking about five o'clock in the morning. Start watching from then, because this is an occultation of a quite bright star. And what's more, it's double. It's Alpha Libra. Now, the thing about that is that it's Zubin El-Ganubi. That's a real mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> but it is a wonderful double star, easily split in binoculars. It's just about, if I remember right, you could potentially, if you've got exceptionally eyesight, you could potentially split it. But I'd use a small telescope to watch. And it's the fainter component that actually gets occulted first. So you get double. You got two for the price of one. Buy one, get one free on occultation. So watch as the moon creeps closer and then occults the secondary first and then the primary after that. And then around about, we're talking about just as twilight starts, um, they will actually reappear on the dark side of the moon itself. So there we are. So that's an occultation as well. And to actually finish off, we're back into the morning sky, but guess who's bounded back? Venus. I mean, we only just got rid of it <laughs> at the beginning of the month, but 
it's one of those situations where Venus really does move quickly in, into the actual morning sky. And so from about middle of the month, start looking out because we've got Mars as well. They're both in Sagittarius. And so Venus will gradually creep closer to Mars sort of thing. But I like lineups. We've got a slim crescent moon on the 29th. So I've set it for about 7 a.m. in the morning. So twilight started, but you'll have the crescent moon, Mars, and then Venus in the sky as well to actually end our selection of objects in the monthly sky. So uh, quite a lot there to actually see and uh, lots of planets. But I, I, I thought we got rid of Venus, but no, it's, it's back with a vengeance, if you like, getting up in the morning sky. So there we have it, Ezzy. It certainly sounds like we've got quite a lot of things going on in the night sky this month. Um, and in fact, in the morning skies as well. So on the 3rd of January, we'll have the peak of the quadranted meteor shower, um, followed the next night by a quartet of planets passing by the slim crescent moon, um, including it making a right angle triangle with Saturn and Mercury. Then on the 17th, we've got the full moon forming a straight line with the stars Castor and Pollux, uh, which is the head of the Gemini uh, constellation, in case you don't know which ones those are. Then on the 18th, we'll have the green planet Uranus next to the yellow star Arietis, uh, which is a great way to see if you can try and pick out those colour differentials. And then on the 25th, uh, Jupiter will be right next to the double star Sigma Aquarii making it a great target for binoculars or telescopes uh, to see if you can pick apart all of those various different parts of it and perhaps even get a couple of moons of Jupiter in there as well. And then finally, we'll be ending the month out with the return of Venus. This time, not in the evening skies, it will be in the morning skies. Um, so if you fancy getting up early, there's a nice new challenge for you to get in the mornings. So thank you very much for taking your time to explain all of that to us, Paul. My pleasure. And let's hope we get some clear skies. Absolutely. If you want to find out even more about the spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for in January 2022. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Brittany Colley. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skynightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. 